This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to episode 180 of the Stacey West podcast. I am your host, Gary. Um, not Ben this week. Ben has unfortunately got COVID and it's proper laid him up. So we are back with uh, Mr. Stats, Mr. Pathway himself. Chris Lamming is with us today. Uh, Chris, how are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. I really need to shake off that nickname somehow. I don't think I will be able to. It's going to stick forever, isn't it? Well, Jake has got stuck with Todge. Um, so uh, just for regular listeners, we're hoping it'll be Jake and Ben next week. So um, you, you, you'll soon be able to pick your favourite duo. But uh, yeah, so how are we doing, Pathway? All good? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back on again. Good, good. No worries. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get straight into it because we've got a little bit to, to tackle this week um, because Bristol Rovers is going to take us a long while to discuss. Uh, as regular listeners know or listeners over the last couple of weeks will know, um, Chris likes to analyse uh, and he's been through every single goal uh, and broken it down for us. Um, but firstly, just as a whole, I mean, it, it was one of those crazy matches, wasn't it? That, that kind of happens once every, every well, every 50 or 60 years, I think. Yeah, it's um, one of those games that it's almost impossible to analyse because there are so many things that happen in it in one of those strange games that it's goals galore, basketball match more than a football match in some ways. And it's almost like you can't analyse it because that's probably not going to happen again, or that style of game is not going to happen again. I've tried, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think from a fan's perspective, you just want to enjoy winning and scoring six goals away from home. We'll, talk, we'll touch on what Kennedy's um, comments were after the game and maybe a few of the negatives, but let's let's just enjoy scoring six goals away from home and you know being involved in a nine-goal thriller. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I remember going away to Port Vale when we won 6-2 there. I remember coming away thinking... That was a that was a two one game or a two nil game at best, um, but I think this one actually genuinely was a, a a game where the goals were justified. It wasn't one where you think, well, they're fluky goals. I mean, the xG there we go. What are we? Two minutes in, uh, the xG <laughs> three point four for us, two point five for them. So you know they couldn't have argued at a three three draw or a four three win for us. Um, it, it was just it was it was just utterly crazy. And and is Joey Barton trying too hard to be a tactical genius by? overturning a player's ban uh, and then dropping him, playing three at the back, but having his only centre-back on the bench. I think we can certainly say it backfired somewhat. Yeah, yeah, it did. And it backfired pretty early as well, didn't it, to be honest? Well, yeah, five minutes in, we was one alert, weren't we? Um, so, yeah, there was a couple of fortunate goals. They were well taken, but they did come from, you know, a couple of ricochets or one of them came from their player clearing it onto the backside of his teammate and us getting a lucky break. So let's not get you know carried away. But we did take our opportunities really, really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the one really key takeaway for me is the early goal. And it's not the first, is it? Um, that Lincoln scored this season. I think we scored relatively early against Derby. We scored relatively early against Fleetwood. We've done it in the cup against um, uh, not Barnsley, Doncaster. Not the, the one we're going to analyse. And and that's quite a refreshing change, isn't it? To see us starting on the front foot, 
in almost every game we play bar Exeter, I think. Very much so, yeah. And I feel our performances have generally been best in those games that we've scored early. Of course, there's always an exception to the rule, but it's almost as if when we've got something to hang on to, it keeps those performance levels higher for a longer period of time. I know we lost a two-goal lead against Fleetwood. Like I said, <laughs> there's always a, an anomaly. But um, in terms of just the performance and, and maybe the energy on the team, and maybe it's, maybe it's a confidence thing. Um, but we do seem to be a lot more positive once we score an early goal. Obviously, from a fan's perspective, it's great, you, especially at home. Obviously, it gets you up, doesn't it? It gets it's a bit more noisy. You're back in the lads a bit more, and that absolutely translates on into the players as well. So, there's probably a lot of factors to it, but it's definitely a a welcome change from last season, where we hardly scored any goals early doors. Yeah, I'd love to do. I, I haven't done the maths. I'd love to know how long it took us to score six goals in September last year. Oh, actually, we went and scored five at Cambridge, didn't we? But kind of, you know, after that, we I, I think we really struggled. And and two against Derby, six against uh, Bristol, three against Barnsley, two against Fleetwood. We're scoring goals. And um, we've gone through all of the. You've obviously taken the time to go through all of the goals. We've scored six goals. Let's talk about them. Absolutely, the first goal. Yeah, well, the first one was. Um... Sorensen attempted a a forward pass. It was intercepted or half intercepted, and it kind of um, just just fell to to Jack Diamond, who had a hell of a lot to do. Um, good pace. We know what he's all about now. I think um, he's 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 going to be our superstar kind of lone player this season. I think we can, we've seen that already. He's got pace. He's got technical ability. Decision making is pretty good as well. Um, got down the wing. Probably something we didn't really have last season. So on to beat a man and get a ball in the box. Um, Deflected goal again, and then House House poked it in, but he was in there. You know, he, he made the run. He got himself two yards out from the goal line, so he was able to kind of capitalise on on any mistakes. Um, so that's the See, first it, one. It reminded me actually of a couple of the goals that John Marquis scored for us when he came on loan, um, and I think at that time it was probably Cohen Bramwell going down the left, putting the ball mm. in. But it was very reminiscent of that. And if you put it in that gap between the goalkeeper and and the edge of the six yard box. You're causing a problem, and possibly for a number nine, it was one of the better performances we've seen from a number nine in the Lincoln City shirt um, since those early Marquis performances. Because you've got to make the run. You, you just said it's deflected, so actually the trajectory of the ball has been taken slightly away from from where it was intended. So House has still got to react and put it away. So I think he's done really well. Yeah, I think Ben House has been a real brush, brush, breath of fresh air, if I can get my words out, since he's he's come into the team. I think none of us really knew exactly what he was going to bring to that nine role. Um, and maybe we thought, was he going to try and emulate Tom Hopper? And he's actually a very different style of centre-forward to Tom Hopper yeah. and offers something very different. Um, uh, I, th- I, I like him. I think I think we, we've we got a lot of energy up top when Ben House is, is playing. And Hops might actually find it quite difficult to get back into the, the starting 11 in the league. Well, he will after Tuesday, but obviously we'll come to that. Yeah. I also, I, I really liked Ben House as an eight. And actually, having seen him firsthand with his movement um, and 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 his quick feet in the area as well, you know, he, he looked the goal against Derby. I know we're not analysing that, but he looked confident when he got the ball. Yeah. You know, he took his time, um, and I, I think you can now see some of the class that comes from playing. Where was he? Uh, was he at Reading? He was at Reading, wasn't he? He was, he was at Reading as a as a Kears, yeah, and then obviously um, Eastley, um, Eastley for a long, quite a few. I, I seem actually. to think he's. Scotland under 21 or under 18 or a Scotland youth international. I might be completely wrong well, with that. All I know is on Football Manager, his nationality <laughs> is Scottish. Uh, yeah. but it, doesn't, it doesn't sound Scottish when you talk to him. But, no, uh, no, he, he doesn't. Um, Whereas Jack Diamond, obviously scorer of the second goal, very much sounds like he's from the North East. Um, <laughs> take us through the second goal. Well, it's penalty. Um, well, the, the incident. If we're honest... It was probably quite soft. Yeah, like, certainly looking at looking at looking back again. Um, I know there was if, if Derby fans were upset about the one that, that they conceded, which it was definitely a penalty, by the way. But they were upset. They thought that was soft. Let's be honest. Bristol Rover fans might be a little bit more upset about this one. I still probably rose tinted glasses. Think is is it a penalty in the modern game? Maybe, maybe it is. He's got the wrong side of the defender. He's forced him to take an action put a tackle in. He's obviously put his arm across and he's felt the arm and he's gone down. Is it soft? Yeah. Is it a penalty? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. We'll obviously take it. Thank you very much. And it was a confident finish to make it 2-0, although he does. Yeah, and I quite like the fact, didn't Jack Diamond say he had played with the keeper 
Um, mm, that Harrogate, been, yeah. Well, that might have been Derby. I'm, I'm getting it mixed up. No, two it was games. Belshaw at, uh, at it, it, it was Belshaw, wasn't it? And I quite like that he had the banter and it's a completely different penalty as well. And I think that that is something that gives fans a little bit of confidence because let's face it, we watched John McKinney score plenty of penalties. He missed the odd one. You always knew what you were going to get, and it was terrifying. And I think Jack Diamond kind of varies that up a little bit. And mm-hmm. he surprises me because you know there were quite a few Sunderland fans when he came to the club saying um, they thought that it, it was you know it was about his level at League One, which is utterly ridiculous because it isn't. Yeah, all. he looks he looks so much above the level already, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, which he is good for us. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's lively, he's hungry, and let's face it, um, it now makes me want Sunderland to get promoted. Uh, so that then we might be in with a chance of getting him back. I think after that, I mean, you talk about us having a go, a, something to defend. After that, I mean, Bristol Rovers were a bit gung-ho. And uh, to be fair, they probably deserved the goal that they then got, even if we gift-wrapped it and served it to them on a plate. Yeah, we, we did gift-wrap it. It was it was a couple of individual errors. It wasn't a system breakdown or anything. It was just individual errors. Paul obviously made a bad, a bad judgment on the ball. Cole Bush came storming out. And it was a really it made the finish easy for the striker, um, but they could have scored. They could have gone one 0 up in the first minute for a, a, a really golden opportunity. So um, I kind of I've added up all the times for the every kind of goal scoring chance that was available in the first half, and it could have been five four. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so what first minute, fifth minute, twelfth minute, seventeenth, thirty second, fortieth, forty first, forty fifth, and forty eighth, and forty second in there as well. Like and they were all genuine goal scoring opportunities for either team. It was it was exactly as the scoreline suggested. It was that type of game. It was. I, th- I think the goal before just before half time they killed it really for as a, as a contest because I think you go in at two one and they've been in the ascendancy. Even though bear in mind I think Anthony Evans who we were linked with uh, when he came back from was he at Paderborn and he came back yes. to Crew. Um, we, we were linked with him when I think he came back from Paderborn and he went went to Crew. Um, but he hit the post, I think, for them. I thought he looked quite lively. And then we just got the goal before half-time. And that I think that kind of seals things, doesn't it, a little bit? Yeah, it completely changes your mindset, doesn't it? Both teams, yeah. if you can see, just before half-time, you've got that two-goal buffer. And from a manager's perspective, Joey Barton's going to have to rip up his team sheet, his, um, his half-time team talk notes. It's a completely different talk if you're two goals down compared to one. Um, obviously, we'll take it. It was a brilliant, brilliantly taken goal again. 3-1 does... It's a very different scoreline, isn't it? Mentally, yeah. if you go in, starting the second half, three one up rather than two one up. Now I lose track of the goals. Was the next one Ben House's volley, or was the next one another Jack Diamond goal? Well, I'll be brutally honest with you. When I was checking this on Y Scout, um, I made a note of every single chance, and somehow I missed Ben House's Van Basten. Um, so short answer: I don't actually know. I can't remember. No, I, I, I think looking at this, that potentially the uh, the next one was actually uh, Matty Virtue's goal was next. Oh yes, of course. Here we go. Um, and, and and I mean this it, this was it was just crazy. I mean it's, it just all started going a little bit crazy. I think after that, but I thought Virtue had a decent performance in the middle of the park and gave us um, gave us a, a, an energy and a little bit of structure, as much structure as you can have in a nine goal thriller. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I also wanted to kind of mention Tashan here as well because it was his his brilliant run forward um, which kind of created the the chance. I know there's there's a kind of a, a couple of missed interceptions and clearances and, and then Virtue kind of capitalised, but the actual attack was kind of started and created by Tashan, who I think he's really improved. Yeah, really yeah. improved since the first couple of games. Um, we definitely didn't see the best of him in that first couple of games. And I think it's really easy as a supporter to kind of make an initial initial judgment on a player. I think, oh, he's, he's he's maybe a bit weak or he doesn't put himself about enough or he hasn't passed the ball properly, doesn't make the right decisions because he had a bad game or because he was slow starting. And then it's almost confirmation bias, isn't it? And you look out for his mistakes and you notice those rather than the things he does well. And I think after those first couple of games, I think he's hugely improved, specifically on his physicality. I think his, his pace and his strength, he's got quick feet. Um, I think we've got a really good player in there. And I think those first couple of games maybe tarnishes that in the fan base a little bit. And yeah, he created that goal. He won't get an assist for it because there was a deflection and a couple of clearance attempts, but he, he got forward really well on that, that first burst of kind of five, 10 yard of pace to get away from a player. You don't see that in the centre of the pitch very often. You see it out wide, but you don't see that from a centre midfielder. And I think he's got that in abundance and that could be a real, a real kind of weapon for us this year. If he, if he keeps that form. 
So I wanted to mention him more than Virtue. Virtue had a good game. I think we've seen what he can bring to the team. But I was impressed with Tasha in that instance. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably going to come on to Tashan a little bit myself as well on Tuesday night mm. um, because it's that run, it's that burst from kind of um, middle of the park that we've seen two, three, four times. And actually we saw it against Derby because Hurahan pulled him down, if you remember, after he yeah. came on. He likes to get on the ball. He likes to um, bring play forward. And he, I think that's really important from your midfield players. They've got to be brave on the ball. Um, they've got to make the right decisions, and that isn't always the case, not just with Tashan, but I think, you know, again, we'll come to Tuesday night, but we saw poor decision-making at times. But if you're able to um, if you're able to move through the pitch, if you're able to kind of bring play 20, 30, 40 yards with the ball at your feet, um, it, I think then you're going to create chances. And, well, and just, looking... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, that's as good as a pass. So, yeah, again, yeah, is, yeah. in terms of stats, there's a, there's, a, there's a stat that's out there that's really popular, which is progressive passes, which is about advancing play by at least 10 yards and that's all passing and often midfielders are kind of judged on on that whereas if you can run 10 yards 20 yards with it, it you're achieving the same thing yeah. if anything you're taking a player out of the game because you've gone past them so it's maybe that's something that isn't maybe analyzed as much but i just think it's worth it's worth it's worth crediting and it's something you don't see very often is someone that's willing to run with the ball centrally well there is actually on my scout uh there is progressive runs which basically is Perfect. running dribbles with the ball at your feet. Um, and, and you look down, at look through Tashan. I mean, actually, it wasn't far enough on Derby for Derby to class as a progressive run, but his dribbles are um, you know, four there, three against Doncaster. There was just the one, actually, against Derby and the one against Bristol Rovers. But actually, running from midfield, normally you don't expect your midfielders to be making Maisy dribbles unless they're a messy or unless they're something like that. It's very much kind of pass, look for space, moving. Um, I just think to have that ability... Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I've, I didn't rate Tashan for, well, I say didn't rate, I didn't think he, he had a great start. And then I think we were talking uh, at some point and kind of said, well, it might have been actually with Pete that yeah, he hadn't had a game last season for Stoke. Mm-hmm. So he's come to the end of um, his, his sort of placement at Spurs. Really? You nearly <laughs> said it. I was going to try and get you to say it. I'm not ever um, saying it again. <laughs> so he's come to the end of his time at Spurs. He's gone on to Stoke. He has struggled. He's coming to League One. It's his first time, you know, first period in League One. Whereas you look at the likes of Jack Diamond, Jordan Garrick, Matty Virtue, they're players that have played at this level before. So actually, Tashan does have a certain amount of getting up to speed. And I think that we we saw that against Bristol Rovers. Um, I mean, looking at the time, we're talking kind of still about the uh, just the goals. I will skip forward if that's all right to the mm-hmm. Ben House goal because I think that is a hugely underrated goal. Oh, it was outstanding. Yeah, it was brilliant. There was I don't know what else to say. There's no, there's not, there's not enough superlatives. It was just brilliant, and it did have shades of Van Basten in yeah. Euro '96, didn't it? It did, it did, and you know, I, it surprised me actually because you know there was lots of talk about oh, it was a deflected shot, it was this, it was that, but I, I don't know. There's something about the technique. I just wish that Ben House was was three inches taller and kind of a couple of pounds heavier, do you know I me mean? more of a a target as well. Um, and I know that that won't suit the type of player entirely that he is, but as a nine, the way that we play, I sometimes think that his physicality doesn't quite match Tom's. And I think that that may count against him when he's coming up against particularly three at the back where they're able to double up. That'll be a real problem. Um, having said that, it was three at the back against Bristol Rovers, but obviously it was it was three as in a central midfielder, a right back and whatever else. So it's kind of a little bit different. Um but I don't think I've seen a finish quite as sweet as that since Bruno Andrade against Everton, maybe. Oh, what a moment that was, by the way. Yeah, that's a great comparison. <laughs> great comparison. That's a great comparison. Yeah. And it's different yeah. angle and there's different technique, but there are some times on the when you, when the player strikes a ball and it goes in and you just sit there and you think, fuck me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a very different reaction from a fan. If a goal goes, like a tapping goes in or, you know, off a corner, it's a very much a yes celebration. It's a different noise when that yeah. goal goes. Everyone's like, oh my God, he's done that. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and it's, it's a kind of more of a shock sort of sensation, isn't it? It's brilliant. Like you don't get those very often each season. So you've got to enjoy them. And for whoever says it was, it was deflected, maybe it was. I'm going to pretend it wasn't and I'm just going yeah. to enjoy it. Well, it's like Argentina fans pretend that Maradona's fantastic goal wasn't an own goal. But if you watch it, see the butcher <laughs> or Fenix foot comes through and kicks it. Maradona didn't score that goal. So it was an own goal and a handball that knocks us out in 86. Um, they're the positives. But there were negatives to take away and we're balanced on the Stacey West podcast. Yes. Yes, there are some negatives. Um, we've touched on the first goal, which was 
to be honest, more individual mistakes than than um, a team issue. But there were some. I'm not going to say worrying, but there were some disappointing moments in the game. Question we, about the first goal. Go on. Is it more Regan Paul or is it more Carl Rushworth's fault? Hmm. I think Rushworth has come out because Paul's missed it, and he's like, oh, "I've got to come make an. I've got. To, I've got to get myself out here and close the angle." Uh, I don't think you want to blame e- either of them 100. It, no. it was just a defensive mix-up, and it's a bit of yin and yang. Um, what is brilliant is that Regan Paul made up for it with a, a goal-saving block. <laughs> uh, a, you know, a little while later, that's as good as a goal, and I love the celebration after as well. That was yeah. fantastic. I like that. That was as good a save in my mind as Gordon Banks for England. You know the uh, the Pele header. I know exactly. What you're saying, yeah. Because yeah. you're looking at it, and and there was a still. Somebody put a still on. It might have been in our chat. Actually, it was. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was, yeah, wasn't it? And it, it was like he clears off the line from here, and you're looking at it, and the ball and the player are closer to the goal than Regan Paul. So he's travelled to the goal quicker than the player has kicked the ball. Yeah, that's what it looks like happens. Mm-hmm. You know. For me, he looked like he was wearing a cape, so we'll let him off. And and Carl Rushworth's in credit with us anyway. So, um, oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. But that, that's obviously the first goal, which is more individualistic yeah. than than maybe a team. But I, I do, I did notice a couple of um, yeah, disappointing kind of traits. And again, I don't think we can read a huge amount into it because it was just one of those weird games where it was just a basketball match, and it was really transitional. There were more duels in this game than there have been any other game that we've had all season that that was shown. Um, but we were quite poor. In transition, so if we lost the second ball, we we're only one pass away from them getting a shot away or getting an attack away. They didn't have to play three, four, five passes to get break down our lines. Maybe that's because we're pressing so high. Maybe it's because we're so aggressive and so offensive, which you kind of like to see. Um, but it felt very easy at times, even on the shots that didn't go in. The, the chances that they had to score, when there were plenty of them, um, yeah, I felt we, we were only ever one second ball loss and one pass away from conceding a chance and you kind of want it to be a bit more difficult than that for an opposition um, and kind of both of their second their other goals kind of came from that sort of situation a question then again because I you, you know my feelings on this is that not partly down to that holding midfield role because if you're losing the ball if you're losing if you if, if we're not um, if we're losing in a press like last year it was always I always like a bridge cut to tip in water in a crack he went mm-hmm. where the gap was really like last Sorensen great engine but for me I thought that it was a, a kind of a at times there's a bit, little bit of a mishmash of uncertainty ahead of the back four and it's and we saw it with Forest Green we definitely saw it with Exeter where we were only ever one ball away from being passed it's like yeah. split, splitting a log you only need to hit us once with a chisel and we come wide open I think there's there's an element of that I, I think it's a bit harsh to solely blame Last. Yeah, yeah, I'm not solely um, blaming him. I mean, it's the midfield. The, the whole, whole, yeah, the whole midfield was a little bit erratic at times. You know, we didn't play many passes through midfield. We were very much counter-attacking ourselves. And not that we bypass the midfield, but there weren't many passes um, kind of between the three of them. Um, and Lass's role is a little bit different to Bridcutt's in that when he plays in that holding role, he doesn't just sit in the hole and cover the gaps. His, jo- his job is to go and win it. And he, I think sometimes he is almost too, not aggressive, but too keen to go and make the tackle and try and win it back. And if he comes out on the wrong side of it, then it's it's just the back four that's exposed. Whereas, and a very different opposition, but on Tuesday night, which we'll come to, Jacob Davenport was just in the right place at the right time. Rather I can't than, wait to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> rather than having to work hard and then put a tackle in. So maybe Lassie's just got to learn the role a bit more. And he's it's that decision-making of when to dive in and when to hold your position. Um, I, so yeah, it's in the, to answer your question, yes, to a degree, um, but it's certainly not solely his his role. But of course, having someone that is an expert in that position would probably mitigate those those chances a little bit. Um, so twenty three minutes in, we're still talking about a game that happened a week ago. Um, any any further negatives you want to touch upon? Not really. No, I think we don't want to touch it, on the negatives too much, do we? No, I think it's easy to because obviously Mark Kennedy did. Um, which I kind of like from a manager's perspective because you're always Honest. searching for always searching for perfection, always yep. searching for things to improve upon, and it, it means that the players aren't going to get too high and not too low with a you know a winning defeat. Great from a fan's perspective, though. Can we just let's just appreciate that we won an away game, six points, back to back wins that we did not expect to get. Um, so let's let's take the positive out of it. We know that there's stuff to work on. 
But what also what we know is that when Mark Kennedy has time to put some of his ideas across on a training ground and we have time to implement that, we look all the better for it. And now we've got a big gap until our next game. So I have faith in the coaching team that we're going to improve and iron out those kind of cracks. And if we can keep the positives from that game, the things that we did well, we're going to be deep. we're going to be all right this year, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, you you would hope so. Um, but then obviously you move across to Tuesday night and actually some of the things that have been worrying early in the season kind of reared their head again. Now, normally, um, for, for listeners at home, normally Chris and I don't sit next to each other. I think if we did, everybody around us would fall asleep. I think it would be like, yeah, it'd be like a cartoon where the second we sit down and start talking football, it'd be like curdling milk, everything around well, also, us. Also, like a little anecdote, as I was walking down to the ground, Oh, I can't remember what we were talking about. And then we you kind of stopped ourselves. Like, oh, my God, this is boring. Why are we talking about this? The people around us are going to be thinking, these what, two boring old sods that are walking behind us here. So, to, be, to be fair, do you know what that – I remember what that actually was. We were talking about our supermarket habits. Oh, my um, God. And shopping in Aldi and, and what we buy from where. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, but in my defence, I am 43. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 are you saying so because I'm a little bit younger than you that I have the, <laughs> the, the brain of a 43 year old and I shouldn't well, and I've lost my youth? Um, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> there we, go. That's, we just had some technical difficulties and I launched into a story about where I was going to make myself look bad and then I got halfway through it, the internet's kicked out and now we've come back in and I've gone, actually, fuck it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll just it. agree with Chris instead and make yeah, it yeah, look yeah. like a tit. Yeah, Chris, Chris is old before his years. I actually think, Chris, to be honest, that um, it's a source of immense pride that I was called Victor Meldrew in my early 20s. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with showing a degree of common sense and practicality, particularly in your early 30s. You're just preparing for what is the best time of your life. Doncaster Rovers. So we uh, we did sit oh, together for the game. Yeah, we did sit together for the game. We were, I mean, I, I wanted to go and watch Jay Ben, Jacob Davenport. I have said this on the Dog Walk podcast, which 300 people downloaded and I've now deleted because I didn't want to uh, repeat. I thought it was going to be and not us. Um, I I actually don't think we were as bad as the post-match reaction from some people suggest. I think the last 15 minutes, we were garbage. I think throughout, we were below par. But I actually don't think we... I thought we were in complete control for the first 45. I agree. Sometimes the overall result can tarnish your opinion on the whole game. Yeah, we, was only, we was only losing for five minutes, weren't we? Let's be honest. Um I, I agree. I think for, certainly for the first half, as much as we didn't threaten, and we only had two shots on target in the whole game, the first two thirds of the pitch, we were completely dominant, weren't really threatened at all. We played more passes in that game than we did any other game this season because it was, dare I say, a bit easy. But, like you know, Doncaster, a League Two side who made nine changes. It was what could pass for a first team squad for us, certainly a League One squad against a League Two mix between a first and second string. So you'd expect us to dominate, but we did. We just didn't capitalise on our domination in the first two thirds. We didn't create a lot, but I thought I would never felt threatened at all. Had a very pre-season feel to the whole evening, which probably didn't help. Um, but even the the, the the game did a little bit, didn't it? But yeah, I agree with you. First half, we were fine. And I was completely confident that we'd go on in the second half and win. And when we scored early-ish in the second half, was quite relaxed. Thought, oh, good. There we go. We'll go on and get two or three. We'll go through. Happy days. But how it turned out is once we scored, we we, we stopped playing, really. We we allowed Doncaster back into it. Is that an attitude thing? I know Mark Kennedy kind of alluded to it after the game a little bit. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting that he alluded to the attitude thing because afterwards I gave it a thought. Which players suffered from the lack of attitude, the lack of positive attitude? And he said it on the afterwards on the way home, didn't he? He said, mm. uh, obviously, we didn't go home with him. We were listening on the radio. Um, but he said that uh, Mike Garrity had listened rather than spoken in the pre-match and there wasn't leaders. And then I, I thinking back to the game, I don't think there was any attitude problem with, let's go through, Jamie Robson. I mean, he, I thought he put his body on the line quite a bit, lacked understanding with Vernon at times, um, but I didn't think that there was anything with Jamie Robson. I thought Adam Jackson looked relatively calm and confident. 
Um, I didn't think there was too much issue with TJ Ioma. Max Sanders looked like he was uh, he was really, really trying to impress. We've already said Tashan played well. Jack, Dav- Jack Davenport, Jacob Davenport will come on to. So there's a whole group of players there. Where I don't think there's any attitude issue at all. Charles Vernon didn't have a brilliant game. In flashes, he looked good. He certainly... Tr- so are we, are we talking just Garrick and Hopper? Um, are we talking players that came on? Um, are we just talking, you know, did they all switch off at one point? I mean, because obviously yeah. in the second half, Tashan and Max Sanders probably drifted out of the game. I think it's easy, and I've noticed some people do it on social media, it's very easy to go, Garrick's the problem, Garrick was poor, or Tom Hopper was poor. Whereas I don't think you can ever be that general. I don't think you can ever say no, one player was a problem or wasn't a problem. Um, I just think that collectively in the first half, it was like we were just cruising. It was like we were driving on the road outside my house in fourth gear. There was no need to go to fifth or sixth because, do you know what I mean? It's a single track. We'll just cruise down here. It's not serious. It's not like we're having a you know a proper drive opening up on a motorway. Um, and even when we scored, I mean, that's fair. The goal was a really poor one to concede for Doncaster. I mean, it was it was a header, and he and Charles did have all the time in the world to watch the header, and he still put it straight at the keeper, powerful yeah. enough to beat him. Um, but there was there was no issue. There was no issue for me with attitude until for me it wasn't. And I don't know. I don't know the players, but everything hinged on one moment for me. The game turned on one moment, and we're going to talk about him now. And we're going to. It's thirty two minutes. I could talk about him for the next twenty minutes. Um, for me, it all hinged when Jacob Davenport came off. He came off and everything went to shit straight after it. Yeah, I think it's a combination of just touching on Mark Kennedy's interview. Um, obviously, I don't know what his what he was referring to. My interpretation of that was maybe our reaction, our collective reaction in terms of attitude to after we scored or maybe after they scored their first and we just didn't get back into it. We didn't up our intensity. But again, that probably does coincide a little bit with Jacob Davenport going off because I thought he was... I thought it was outstanding. I am with you in that I love a holding midfielder. I think that's such an important role on the pitch. Um, and it can, it's like the scaffolding almost around around the rest of your team, isn't it? And I just thought he he looked a class above. We, we, did, we kind of mentioned how last impressed early in the season and maybe he's dropped off a little bit. Can never can never criticise his work rate. Can never criticise no. his decision, his, um, his, his willingness to get stuck in and to try and win the ball back. But to compare him to Davenport, you can see someone who is a real natural in that position, who didn't have to sprint to put a tackle in because he was just in the right position to intercept the pass in the first place. His distribution was outstanding. He just looked really calm and collected. I think he only misplaced one pass in the whole game. I was really, really impressed with him. And I was really disappointed to see him go off injured. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have looked at some stats. And I'll come back to a Lassen Davenport demographic in a minute. I've got a point to make on that. Defensive duels per 90. Um, Jacob Davenport came out on top. Uh, aerial duels per 90. Jacob Davenport was second. Slide, And this is just for this game. Sliding tackles per 90. Jacob Davenport uh, well ahead. Shots blocked per 90. Jacob Davenport uh, port. Uh, Jacob Davenport joint top interceptions per 90 Jacob Davenport four more than any other player there is that's the least surprising one of those I I thought yeah that's exactly what I saw was him just intercepting the ball so often the other stuff I'm surprised that because it felt like he didn't have to almost like the whole team in the first half he didn't have to shift out of second or third gear he was just almost too easy for him wasn't it it was got some passing stats if my screen ever um, where was it? There was passes into the area. I can't actually see it now. But forward passes per 90. Um, he was only behind the centre-backs. Well, you kind of expect that, I suppose, uh, to a degree. There was uh, there was a key pass in as well. This was the one that I like. Was it passes into the final third? Um, passes to the final third. Jacob Davenport, 10.14. And that's ahead of Max Sanders. Uh, Regan Paul, Adam Jackson, then behind that. But, you know... It, he just topped so many of the numbers um, through passes per 90. He comes out on top. Passes to the penalty area, um, you'd, as you expected, the attacking players are a little bit higher than him on there. But in terms of the midfielders, he still rates pretty highly. I mean, it, it just, do you know what I mean? I just, I really wanted to see him because I wanted to be right when he signed. And I know that's typical, <laughs> isn't it? I did. I wanted to be right. And well, I was impressed. 
you did the um, that blog piece in pre-season before we'd signed anybody, didn't you, about players that we might go after. So it's quite nice, of course, from your perspective, to be correct in that regard and get a couple right. Um, but he, well, fingers crossed, his hamstring injury isn't isn't too serious. I know Candy wasn't sure how serious it was on Tuesday evening, but if he's fit, he could be a huge player for us. Um, I suppose the only silver lining, if he is injured, is as much as it'd be great to have him. We haven't had him, and we've been okay. So it's not like we're missing a key cog in the team that's been there for the whole season. But what a brilliant addition he could be if he is able to slot in soon. He said this on the way home, didn't we? It reminds me of the James lyric, sit down. If I hadn't seen such riches, I could live with being poor. And if I hadn't seen Jack Davenport playing in the whole of the midfield role, I wouldn't miss him. The fact is, he just had everything about him that I wanted to see. I said at the end of last season, not that getting a number nine was crucial. I said that on deadline day said at the end of last season, we have got to replace Liam Bridgecott. And yeah. the way that we play right now is a little bit different to the Michael Appleton, but we still want to play out from the back. We're still going to play 4-3-3. And in a 4-3-3, that is the most crucial position on the pitch, especially if you're in attacking 4-3-3. Be, you know, some people call it a 4-1-4-1. Depends how far forward your attackers are, your, your wide players are. But that's the most important position. That's the heartbeat. Talk about a spine of a team. It starts there for me. And I agree. It's that link, isn't it, as well, between yeah. the defence and midfield. So there's a couple of times against Derby. I know we won and it was great, really good counter-attacking performance. But there were a few times where we had the ball in our deep third. And there was a huge chasm between our back four and everyone else who had gone forward. I know we were looking to go longer. We were looking to get in behind. But you, from my perspective, you want someone in that in that hole that's just going to link everything together, get the spacing correct. Um, and it's an option then to turn around if you need to. Um, I just felt a completely different game, obviously, on Tuesday compared to Derby. But I, d I noticed that a couple of times. I have to admit, I haven't noticed it hugely throughout the season, but I, I did notice thinking, bloody hell, we've got, it's not just we're looking to go along and get so-and-so in behind. Like, everyone else is forward apart from the back four here, even yeah. our holding midfielder. who might have been tracking a player rather than holding position. We don't know what instructions he had. But you get someone like Jacob Davenport to sit in that role. It feels like he's going to be a little bit like Liam Brickcourt. He was always just where you needed him to be. Yeah. I agree. And I think I'm going to pick up on the other point I said about Lass and Jacob Davenport. If if we wanted to go, let's say we've got to go away to Sheffield Wednesday and you know that they're going to come on to us, you know they're going to attack, they're going to have possession, they're going to want to push us deep. We could play the two, the double sixes, and Lass would actually perfectly complement um, Jacob Davenport and vice versa, as Conor McGrandles and Liam Bridcut did, because you would have the one that was the sensible, the, the, well, say sensible, but you know, the, the Bridcut, the Davenport, I'm just going to literally go slight side to side. And then you've got somebody with Lassie's energy, who I think he has all the energy of Conor McGrandles. Conor was a player who we always used to talk about having fantastic energy, great engine. And if you're in that 4 2 3 1, Lassie's the player that then suddenly allows you to transition. And we talk about formations being overrated, but to a Four one four one, and for me that that apes more a Danny Cowley setup when we used to play with um, like a, a, an Alex Woodyard, and then you would have like an Alan Power or somebody. You'd have, like almost then your attacking midfielder would be a would would not a typical ten, but would be like a Tom Pett style player who could play right at the, to the top of that. Shane McCartan used to do it as well. Ted Bishop's perfect for that. Max Sanders, yeah. I think, is is perfect for that. We, to be honest. If all our midfield players are fit and you were to say who are the best six footballers on Lincoln City's books, at the minute, you'd probably probably pick five of them. Aside from Jack Diamond, I mean, Matty Virtue, great footballer. Tashan, clever, clever footballer. Max Sanders, everybody's darling. Ted Bishop, quality. Jacob Davenport, people haven't seen him, but when they see him, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're actually... The only one you'd add into that would be Regan Paul, obviously. But yeah, I yeah. agree. The majority of our better players... Our central midfielders and let's go back to that first game of the season i remember we were discussing this thinking we've got a half decent squad here but i'm a little bit concerned about our central midfield yeah and now now it's probably our strongest part of the pitch yeah and now we're a little bit concerned about uh, uh right back at times and, and to be fair i thought tj was decent against doncaster um yep. i think it was him that put the cross in for the goal i thought he looked livelier and then 
<coughs> there's not a lot you can draw from an EFL trophy game. With the greatest of respect, you know, I didn't get carried away when we beat Barnsley 3 0. I'm not going to get carried away when we've lost 2 1 to Doncaster. Um, but all of, you look at their XG, and I've got I've turned Y Scout off now because my computer was worried. But their XG all came more or less in the last 15 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, their XG, I've got it here, is, was 1.56. They had 10 shots in the game, five on target, but uh, eight of those shots, I think, or seven of those shots. I can't remember what I can't read me on hand right in here. But most of them came in the last 15 minutes. So you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. So as much as you even if you are stats satos like we are, we'd like to look at the stats, they don't always tell the whole story either. Because you know, if you were to break up into 15 minute chunks, for example, that we we actually, in terms of our chances, our possession, our passing, everything, every comparison of the two teams, we came out on top apart from the last 15 minutes. Yeah. And I did, you can actually, I don't know if you know it's not on my scout, you can break it down filter into 15 minute periods well i need i need a lesson because I've, I've been looking at the videos <laughs> and, and the easy stats because but the thing is i will spend hours hours and hours and hours on that it could be my other half might not be happy about that i'll probably never see her no don't tell her don't tell her because i've, I've not actually just for listeners again i've not properly met uh chris's other half and we're going out uh in a couple of weeks aren't we the four of us for a bite to eat so i don't want the, the funnily enough i've got a story for support you just very quickly about ruining uh, when I say a foursome, it sounds weird, but ruining that kind of going out as a as a group of four. I uh, I've got a mate. I won't tell you to say his name. You don't. You you've not actually met him. And uh, I was doing hypnosis. I'm a fully qualified clinical hypnotherapist, and I was trying to stop him smoking. And he wasn't telling his partner that he was smoking. So I was going over there, hello to her. Oh, you know, I'm just coming over to hypnotize him and do this and that. And I'm I'm training, and it went on for about six months he was the only person who i tried to hypnotize for non-smoking who i didn't stop smoking and anyway eventually he admitted to her uh, that he had been smoking but he also told her that i'd been going over there to stop him smoking uh and she basically went just basically didn't want anything to do with me after that because i'd been going over and saying that i was going over for something different even though he was telling me to and it just you know what we've been over i think it took about 10 years maybe 10 years before before we were I was invited over for dinner again so yeah, yeah. well I can't no, I'm going no to change the Y scout I'm changing the Y scout <laughs> password mate I'm not well, having that well good good news neither me or Steph smoke um, <laughs> and also I know it's still in debate with, with you and Fee that whether she actually exists or not so <laughs> no we did meet her at dave's shop opening oh of this course is, yeah this is great podcasting this oh, is. nobody knows yeah. who dave's are if you've ever seen me at the uh football with a guy who looks like romesh um the the comedian romesh but dribbles a little bit um when he talks that's dave that's so, so much yeah so I know. accurate accurate right um anything more then about doncaster you've, you've got your notes i don't want to skip anything no no we've, we've been through everything that i've written down here so um like you say, can't take too much out of it. Some disappointing traits, but we know Mark Kennedy has the ability to improve us when he has a little while on the training pitch and we've got a big get, gap, big break now to hopefully iron out um, the problems and keep pushing forward. So I was disappointed on the night because I wanted us to win and be a bit, kind of be entertained to see some goals more than anything. Didn't get that, was disappointed, but it's an EFL trophy game. Let's move on. Let's concentrate on the league. We'd, if we're given the opportunity to win the last game and lose this one or vice versa, we're all going to take three points against Bristol Rovers, aren't we? Yeah, of course we are. And again, the, the very fact that we went into watch it and you know, we said, oh, I want to see Jay Ben um, or I want to see Jacob Davenport or I want to see this or that. It wasn't, oh, I want to go there and watch us Tonk Doncaster. And we did want that. And I genuinely felt that we were going to win the game. And I, you know what? I think if you play that game again tomorrow night, we win it 3-0. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to touch actually. To be fair, because we're not doing bad for time, just on Tom, because we we were sort of talking about Tom. He's, he's an easy scapegoat, I think. Um, and early in the season, I thought he was actually one of our bright spots against Forest Green. I thought he did very, very well. Yeah, he did very well at Oxford. You know, he, he defends from the front almost. And I, I remember talking, I think, about um, Italy in the World Cup in 1990. I remember reading a feature on them as a kid, and it said, you know, attack is the best form of defense. And and kind of with Tom Hopper, he's almost like a defensive attacker, kind of. Um, mm-hmm. I know we talk about his service, and he didn't get an awful lot of service on um, Tuesday night, but you know. I think he looked below par. Now, whether he was one of the ones that Mark Kennedy is saying the attitude, I don't think with Tommy's attitude, I think that would be wrong. No, but, I think that's, that's, 
the uncharacteristic. Maybe. Yeah. I know I mentioned, and I you kind of touched on that I, when we were discussing, I said, hey, we could discuss this at half time. We kind of disagreed a little bit. You kind of felt you'd been a poor half. I, I agreed he had, but I hadn't had the service. And what I meant in service is I didn't mean we didn't get the ball in the box to him to go and score a header. Because normally Tom's, Tom's role is to kind of drop slightly deeper play into him and he brings others into play. And we just hadn't done that at all. Everything broke down in, the, in, the, in that final third. Was that because he wasn't showing, because he was a little bit lethargic, he was a little bit unfit from his injury, or was it an attitude thing? Or um, did we just not hit the passes into him? Did they block off those opportunities? Um, but I agree, he was probably the only player that had a below-par whole performance. So the amount of time he was on the pitch, the whole time he was on the pitch was maybe less than we expected of him. Whereas most of the other players, even if they did drop after in the second half, we saw enough from them. It's yeah. positive. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you that he was definitely below par. It's weird, isn't it? In the first few games of the season, he almost, we almost, especially after we got the captaincy, he almost felt like he was going to be the first name on the team sheet and we'd work everything else around him. Whereas now we're seeing, after Ben House has really taken his opportunity well, disappointing performance by Tom on Tuesday, you actually kind of see it, it could be difficult for him to get back in the, the starting eleven. It's a big test for Mark Kennedy's management style, isn't it? Because let's face it, if this was the situation last season, and it might be different players. Let let's say you know Chris Maguire or um, anyone. But let's say it's Chris Maguire and Chris Maguire is injured, and someone comes in and plays in this position and does well. The next game, you would guarantee without a doubt the player who's done well gets dropped. Max yeah. Sanders, we spoke about, came in, did well against Bowers and Pitsy, dropped, and okay, it was a non-league team. He, came, he did well against, but we we saw it time and time again where players were picked. And I don't want to say on who they are because we don't see them on the training ground. We don't see that. It's easy and lazy to say they were picked because they were a favourite. Big test for Mark Kennedy, though, because Ben House has scored what, three goals in two games, playing as a nine. Mark seemed to favour him as an eight earlier in the season. His captain, his leader, is also a nine. The Bolton game is going to be massive. And for me, if Ben House starts and Tom's on the bench, that's the type of management I prefer. I agree 100%. Um, you can maybe compare the difference in Kennedy to Appleton in maybe Sean Rowan and Robson. Because Robson yes. started the season, Rowan was given an opportunity, took it, still in the team. Whereas last season, if Appleton maybe saw Robson as his starting left back, Rowan comes in for a couple of games, impresses Robson, you, you could imagine would probably be back in the team because he's his first choice. He's you know He has that maybe better level in his head and he fits into that, so he plays no matter what. And what I really like in, in Kennedy is that Rowan's now kind of gone, right, I've taken an opportunity. Now it's my turn. Now Robson's got to work hard to get back into the team. Brilliant management. I really like that. I agree with you. Bit different when it's your captain, though. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? So that's it's a much bigger call now. Yes. Not just because it's a striker and that's obviously a really important position on the pitch, but also he's your skipper. And I know we've got an adequate backup in Paul, who's the vice captain. So it's not, it's not. In, like we're going to be lacking leadership on the pitch if we don't play Tom, but it is someone who has been nominated and identified as a leader in the team on and off the pitch by Kennedy. So it's really interesting to see what happens. Obviously, anything could happen between now and that game in terms of training ground injuries, God forbid, um, and performance in training as well. We don't see any of that, do we? But on pure match performance, I would absolutely love to see Ben House get the opportunity to start against um, Bolton. Training ground injuries? Do they happen? Well, so I've been told. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> Although on that, on that, and we're going to move on to a couple of questions in a minute, but Danny Mandry, apparently back in full training on Monday, um, given Jordan Garrick's relatively inconsistent performances of late, Ted Bishop's injury, Charles Vernon in and out the side, I mean, that can only be a good thing, surely, with Danny coming into the fold. He's the forgotten man and that unknown quantity, yes. isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so... I'm really excited to see him. I'd be interested to see where he plays because I know Kennedy said earlier in the season he sees him as a wide player, but he also said he saw Ben House as an eight and now he's playing up front. Um, and I know um, Mandrew played in that attacking midfield role for, mm. for Shamrock as well as out wide, as well as up top, um, but was primarily kind of that walk, almost like a wide attacker. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where he fits in. And Jack Diamond had a a cameo really on on Tuesday night and did well when he came on. Didn't really have enough time to to really um, create anything, but he came on the right and he was threatening. But I can't help think every, all of his positive performances have come on the left. And, and 
I can't Mandrew, I can't see him playing on the right because he's more of a ball playing. From what I know, is he's, he's more of a ball player. He's not got that bit of pace to go and beat somebody. He's tricky, he's clever, um, but he's completely different to Jack Diamond. And that's normally more suited to cutting on your opposite foot. So I can't yeah. see Mandrew playing as a right winger, as a direct replacement for Jordan Garrick. So will we play him on the left and then bring Diamond on the right? Will he be as effective on the right playing on that side? Or is he better cutting in? We don't know. We haven't seen yet. But no, that's, no. That's, the only, that's the only question I've got in my mind is where will he actually play and fit into our system, which is very much a case of pace, tempo, wide players you know, really being quite aggressive in, in taking their man on. Um, so basically... Basically, Danny Mandrews, the Anthony Scully replacement, isn't he? You've got no idea where we're really he's going, where yeah. he's best. Well, he's best hopefully, hopefully, it's the same answer because if he proves himself to be one of our key players, and the answer for Anthony Scully was as long as he's on the pitch, that's his best position. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, that's the same for Mandrew. I wouldn't be surprised though, um, throughout the season, if he does end up playing in the more central role for us. I think so. I think so. I think we might see him more as a, an impact sub later on because Mark Mark Kennedy does like to go three at the back. He does like to go flat four four two just to kind of shore a game up a little bit. Uh, at the moment, Garrick's been doing that. If Garrick's been on from the start on the right, um, it, it's potentially then you don't get the same energy. And I think if mm-hmm. Mandrew does have that kind of energy, that running, that cleverness. It could be if House is starting as a nine, you do a double switch and bring Hopper and Mandrew on the kind of big man, little man, you can go a little bit longer. And, and look, Tom Hopper would be much more effective in my eyes if he was playing as part of a two with somebody running off him. And you know, we tried that at the end of last season, but we did it all wrong because we, well, we had the Hopper. wrong dynamic. Yeah, him it was and Hopper Marcus and Marquis. Were... Yeah. And, the thing is, it worked against Sheffield Wednesday. And I remember Ben saying on the podcast, you know, oh, they, they worked well together. They didn't. They worked completely independently of each other, but they gave the defenders two problems to think about. But then we saw it yeah. in Shrewsbury where it just didn't work. But yeah, I, I, I think, a, I mean, I, it would work with House and Hopper, but you've got to start with a nine. And I, I, I think Mark Kennedy is the type of manager that will make changes to yeah. alter games. Michael Appleton had, this is how I play. We're going to do it for 90 minutes and I may change like for like. There was very rarely shape changes. Mm-hmm. But one thing Mandrew will offer is the opportunity for a shape change. Yeah. And that's really like a, an opposition perspective. Whenever you're playing in a game and you think you've just about got an idea of how they're setting up, you know who your men are, you know what positions you've got to be and parts of the pitch you've got to be kind of shepherding. If they suddenly change to a back three or to that they switch their wingers or someone goes and plays in a 10 role now and they weren't there before, everyone in the team has a different role yeah and it's really difficult to to adapt to so if you are a team that is adept at changing shape in game and you have almost have two two formations or systems that you can kind of rely on and everyone knows their roles in both of them you could be such a threat and that's a big difference between like Premier League to top Premier League teams and and maybe like lower like lower down Premier teams and maybe lower lower leagues you go is just that, that tactical kind of um intelligence that players have to yeah. be able to do that. I remember uh, Danny, um, we had we played 4-4-2, but we had two very, very different systems in a 4-4-2. Yes. We either went and played into Reed, or then we made a switch, brought Reedy off and brought, I can't remember who it was on, um, someone else on who was a bit more energetic, and we went and tried to turn them around a the corner. And I remember Danny made a, a reference to it after the game, saying he was really pleased with the players. It might have been Oldham at home. The, the match after Paul Scholes got sacked. Why do I remember that? Um, yes. uh, but I seem to remember he, he made the point. What he was most impressed with was that we changed, um, not shape, not tact, well, not system, but we changed our approach. And everyone knew their role and they switched to it really, really quickly. And to take that information on board as a, you know, as a whole team, as a player, was, was really impressive. So if we can develop that gradually over the season, that can be a real secret weapon. Yeah, I agree. And and that was um, Jose Baxter was sent off, wasn't he, just before half time, if I remember correctly, in that Oldham game. Um, so, right. So let's go to some questions quickly because we're on 50 ish minutes, depending on how many we waste, many minutes we wasted with me dealing with the dog and the Internet. Um, so first of all, this is from uh, Tris, Coach Tris. He says, do you think Mark Kennedy would prefer the manager's job to the role of head coach? Reason I ask is he says injuries aren't part of his JD or transfers, and then this week questioned players he didn't sign. Uh, questioned the attitude of players, and he puts that he didn't sign with it being the the transfers. What what do you think? I think 
couple of couple. I've got a couple of points on that. Not to knock anyone down here. Um, I think we need to be clear on the recruitment. Is that the club has got a system in place where there is a recruitment team, um, and they are scouting players all the time. But Mark Kennedy is very much part of the recruitment team as well. He has the final say on all transfers as well. Um, so to say it wasn't players he wasn't he, he didn't sign is probably not hugely accurate maybe historically the manager signed all the players it was their decision who they wanted and they go out and try and get them and they do the negotiations kind of football manager style um you do everything whereas now that's changed um and in terms of does he prefer a manager's role i think mark kennedy is here because he really fitted into the structure that we wanted to implement as a club uh, i know kind of he said as much cliver said as much jez kind of mentioned it i think you said in the um in that yeah. kind of uh, fans forum, not the fans forum, but that um, talk yeah, that you went to with him. Talk. That was it, yeah, early in the season. Um, and what was really impressive about Mark is he genuinely wanted to be here and he wanted to be in that setup. It really um, kind of resonated with him uh, and fitted in with what he wanted. So, again, maybe this is just looking a bit too much and taking too much out of one negative performance on Tuesday. Um, I think Mark Kennedy, you know, whether he's the right manager for us long term or not, we, we none of us know. We hope he is. None of us know. But whether he fits into the structure of the club and whether he wants to be in it, from what we've heard, yeah, he does. That this is this is exactly the type of role he wants. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree. I, I I see Tris's point because I think going further back, he had talked about things like this is above my pay grade. This was in pre-season. Mm. Talked about um, with with Beth the other week in, on Radio Lincolnshire where he kind of shot her down with injuries. I think to a degree there may be a little bit of media management there as well. Um, yeah. I think he's come from setups where. Uh, when you think about Liverpool, where he's been, you think about Wolves, you think about his actual background, his background is coaching. And I think in the brave new world of football, you know, there are some really bad things. But actually, I think one of the real positives is that dilution of uh, power at the top. So yeah. when a manager comes in, it's all about having the same structure, the club moving forward. And I think one of the first clubs to do that were, were they Ajax? Um, back in the 70s, where even their under-12s played exactly the same formation, mm -hmm. exactly the same system. Liverpool, obviously, where uh, where Mark Kennedy was for a while, it was always the manager was coming through. It was always internal appointments. It was coming yeah. through the boot room. So I think that that's always been a part of football. And I think that that's what Lincoln City wanted to do. I think that fits with Mark Kennedy. I think he's perfectly happy with the head coach role because he's a footballer. And you know, yeah, some managers are not necessarily footballers. So you think about Sam Allardyce and they, they may have played football. Of course, Sam Allardyce did. You think Alex Ferguson did. But they were very strong characters, very strong people. They, you know, they were managers in every sense of the word. They had to have their fingers in every pie. Danny Cowley, to a degree, helped yep. reshape the entire club. He was a manager. Whereas I think that what we're looking at now is a very different structure. It leaves just George open to a lot of incorrect um, and unjust criticism. I see he was getting criticism this week for uh, signing Jacob Davenport and Davenport being in, getting injured straight away. We sign injured players, Jez George masterclass. Nobody's calling him when we sign Jack Diamond. The transfers are not down to one person. If you're going to call Jez George, you've got to do it about Mark Kennedy. You've got to do it to Joe Hutchinson, the scout. You've got to do it to Mark Tracy, the scout. You've got to do it to the entire um, recruitment team. It's not about blame. And that it's almost like trying to blame one person for the goal against Bristol Rovers, isn't it? It wasn't solely Paul's fault. wasn't solely Rushworth's fault. wasn't solely O'Connor's fault. If something's wrong, then it is a, a, a dilution. I actually think there's often, like you just said, sometimes a little bit of an overreaction to certain instances. I can see why Tris is asking it based on my... Oh, 100%. 100% understand yeah. where the question's coming from. Um, but yeah, I, I feel Mark Kennedy's suits is. Um, just one thing, I actually... Maybe ask me this 10 years ago, and I'd say, yeah, you're diluting the manager's kind of input and manager needs to make the final decision, whereas now, obviously, understand football a little bit more and um, football has moved on a little bit. It's that, like you say, that dilution, it's that collective effort. But it does mean if someone moves on, the best case scenario for the football club isn't because Mark Kennedy gets sacked or one of our coaching members leaves because they're rubbish. It's because they've been doing really well and they get poached by someone else. We get a bit of income. When we get a replacement in, we haven't got to start again. You haven't got yep. the whole upheaval of, of everything else. It's just one cog in the wheel. And they slot in, bring their own ideas, but it's it's it's, it's one small part of a, of a greater whole. Yep. Um, so it's I think that's the idea. 
and Dean Smith left Brentford and Thomas Frank just stepped up and it was completely yeah. and utterly effortless. And and for me, it's better to have that than it is, um, and everything else the same, and it's better to have that than it is changing a manager and then changing an entire philosophy or a manager comes in with different ideas. So, uh, so we've got two other questions. One is directly for me. Uh, I did put the questions out late, so it's not a lack of interest it's that I put them out 10 minutes before we started recording. Um, so this is from Leo. Leo says, City are clearly showing signs of heading in the right direction. I like that positivity. Yeah. What, in your views, is the reason we haven't been able to put together a consistent run at this stage of the season? Is it still too early in Kennedy's reign? Um, I mean, yeah, I'll pick up on that first of all. I, I think it, it is too early in Kennedy's reign. I said about we were a work in progress on social media the other day and somebody shot me down and said, we're always a work in progress. But when a new manager comes in, despite this um, consistency that we want, that manager also has ideas that he wishes to implement. He did, you know, No one person is going to be exactly the same. So the way that Mark Kennedy wants to play, some of the new things that he brings, the nuances to our tactical approach, do take time. Um, we've signed some new players that, again, I think when you're coaching heavy, as we are, when you have a head coach, when it's all about development, when it's not about spending the best money on the best players like Ipswich and Portsmouth and players like that bringing you know teams like that bringing big names in when you've got to work with players it is going to be gradual and and anyone who's listening who's a teacher will, will tell you exactly the same that they'll take a class at the beginning of the year and they know that they've got a good class but they've got to teach them they've got to mold them they've got to help and develop them and I think that that's that's one reason we haven't put a consistent run together um you know obviously I think there is work to be done that's that that's what we will call the work in progress. So, yourself? Agree. Yeah. Um, interesting thing, actually. At work today, I was in a, on a training course, and the training course was on a subject known as group dynamics. So it was about how to manage groups of people from like a, a trainer's perspective. But actually, understanding the dynamics in the group and the kind of the, the range of skills, the range of personalities, there's a lot more to it than just learning the tactics. Um, and as much as kind of I do this for work a little bit, I'd never really given it a huge amount of thought. When you discuss about football, you know, maybe away from the game you can do, but when you're actually in the stands and you're thinking about it, you think, oh, bloody hell, why is he doing that? Why is he not seeing that run? Why is he not doing that? There's so much more to it than that. And only one small part of joining a new club is actually learning the tactics. Um, so it does take time. It takes a lot longer than we'd like it to. Um, so I think an element of, we have quite, quite, a, quite a, a high squad churn this summer. So there's a lot of new players and a few of them came in later in the window and it's a young squad and you're going to find us with young players. It takes longer. They're going to make mistakes. Um, as you mentioned, there are some collective issues that we need to kind of sort out. There are just a few individual errors that crop up and that happens. People have an off game. That happens, especially with young players. And we've probably got to get used to that a little bit as, as, as Lincoln City fans because we're going to be signing young players quite a bit. Um, but I do, what I really like about is, and I, and, and, I think Leo was it that, that said this question. Yeah. Um, what I really liked is how Leo started that, saying we can, we can see where we're going. We can see yeah. the starting point. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we can all see what the plan is. We can all see what we're trying to do. doesn't always work. doesn't always come off. But at least we can see the process. Um, and I, I, I feel, given time, getting players fit again. I hope we haven't got to keep saying that for the whole season. Um, but getting players fit, that get a chance to then get on the training grounds. I think we are only seeing the very early stages of Mark Kennedy's Lincoln City. And yeah, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of positive signs. There's always negatives. There are always things to work on. There is at every level. Yeah, but there's more I, positive I, than negatives for me at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I think over the last two weeks, that's become evident. Mm, yeah. I think against Cambridge, I could see more negatives than positives. after, well, Not just against Cambridge, after Cambridge, because we'd seen surrendering leads, We'd seen conceding sloppy goals and we hadn't actually seen the level of threat. We talked about XG the last time you were on and we were in the bottom of this and we would have been second bottom in the XG table and all this sort of stuff. Um, and, and that kind of, that worried me. And OK, the Bristol Rovers game, yeah, it, it, it does magnify, you know, it does create a stat probably that shows a slightly different picture, which will even out over the season. But having seen the game against Derby as well, where, there was no givens in that game whatsoever. Yeah, we got the penalty, but it was a penalty. We earned the penalty. It was against a decent Derby side as well. But there's enough for me to suggest that we can still tuck in. And I'm not I'm not talking about any higher than 15th. And I think if we were to finish 15th this season with the squad we've got and then retain a couple of the lone players, 
Um, that's that's the progression. And Mark Kennedy, I think, said in an interview a couple of weeks ago that you know, they're not going to be where they want to be as a squad from players coming in and players coming out, possibly until the middle of next season, in terms of that's how long it takes to to bring your own players in and your own players through, and we'll have players move on for bigger money and then we'll, we'll, we'll develop and looking for the, the kind of profile of player that they want as well. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think there will be more lows than um, than people probably are willing to accept. But you know, I, I remember people calling for Michael Appleton's head after two or three defeats. I think there'll be times where we lose two or three on the spin with this team because I think there's the confidence. You talk about the young players. It's really, really easy for it to get in a young player's head, I think, and to, to suffer that lack of confidence. And, and at the moment, we talk about attitude. That's probably one thing that we look at and just think, Attitude isn't always just to touch on it. Attitude isn't always a player going out there thinking, "Don't oh, fucking fancy this." That's not no. always attitude. Attitude might be them going out wanting to put everything into it, but the crowd are getting on their back, and and it just changes the way that they are. Attitude isn't some always something that you pick when you know. And you think about people in real life who you think have got an attitude, and it might be because they're shy, it might be because they're going through a tough time, it might be this or that. Players are very much the same. So when Mark Kennedy talks about attitude, it isn't just players not being asked or players being lazy. It's not black and white like that. And I think we've got one or two players that need the leaders and the arms around them. And I think Mark Kennedy's man management will come through on that as well. So, yeah, we can see where we're going. It's going to be a long, longer journey than, um, than let's say, when Danny Cowley came in and turned us from mid-table National League side into winners. It's not going to be that instant or that quick. Um, because it's a completely different landscape. Absolutely right. Yeah. One thing you, you, you mentioned there that I really liked was your, your, your um, opinion on attitude. I think that was such a good point. Um, it could also be people, you know, just you mentioned maybe have the crowd get on their back, but even just um, players' ability to um, remain calm in, in moments of high pressure. You know, if we are under the cosh, can we roll our sleeves up or do we wilt? Um, how do we react if the referee makes a terrible decision? It's, it's kind of emotional maturity, isn't it? And, yeah. and um, yeah, so, you know, it'd be really nice to ask Mark Kennedy, not what did you mean by that, but maybe to just reword a question later in the season and see what he really meant. Because one thing he mentioned pre-season in one of his first few interviews was how um, important team dynamics was and understanding the players as people. Yeah rather than just the tactical side and, and, and all that. It was very much wanted to look after that, that the more kind of psychological side of things, which I, I love. So it'd be interesting to see kind of if we were to revisit that, where he thinks we are in that side of the squad's development, yeah, not definitely. just the tactical and physical side. Well, I've just had the uh, podcast jog-along text to tell me that my chicken on croute is ready and I am three minutes over the time that I told Fee that we were going to be. Um, which accounts entirely for the loss in internet service earlier. Um, so if that's everything, I'm going to get it. It is everything from me, mate. Yeah, well, good. That's everything from us. So uh, like I say, possibly Jake and Ben next week. If we do one, but with it not having a game, it might be quite tough. They might do a question thing. I'll, I'll chat with the boys and see what they want to do. Um, but in the meantime, plenty of positives and enjoy your free weekend. Yeah, enjoy the, the weekend, everybody. Up the imps. the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.